0: Well, let's take our Bibles now and turn to Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter number 19 tonight. Sure has been good to be here today. I'm glad we have church. All right, Acts chapter 19. Last time we were together, we considered the first seven verses. Your next step, your next step... In your spiritual walk and these individuals that were there these disciples of John these individuals as it as it was then uh, they came to understand what their next step was and they submitted themselves to it that's the Christian walk that's the Christian life knowing what your next step is and then by the grace of God taking that step and you keep doing that and you get where you're supposed to be spiritually And that's what they did it's, it's wonderful it's wonderful Well, let's uh, read on tonight as we continue in our series, A Church for His Name. We come now to verse number 8. So Acts 18, verse 8 through 20, an interesting passage of Scripture, to say the least. So let's, let's look at it here tonight. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. Remember, he's in Ephesus, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way, reference to the way of Christ, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, Both Jews and Greeks and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. I mean, even if they received a cloth from him, it's remarkable John- uh sorry Luke said this was a special miracle, not ordinary. <laughs> that'll narrow down a lot of stuff that's going on out there. He said this is out of the norm. Don't try to televise it and, uh, i'm just- I'm supposed to just be reading right now, so okay, here we go. then certain of the vagabond Jews traveling Jews itinerant. Exorcist, exorcist it says, ones casting out demons, Exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name, watch this now, they're Jews. The name of the Lord Jesus. They're not Christians, they're Jews, exorcists. But they call the name of Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. <laughs> they don't preach him but who he said and there were seven sons of one Sceva Jew and chief of the priests which did so and the evil spirit answered and said <laughs> "It's not good <laughs> i telling you Jesus I know and Paul I know I'm acquainted with him But who are ye? (laughs) About time to run right there. He didn't even have a chance. They didn't have a chance to run. It says, And the the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. In other words, whooped them real good. so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. If it wasn't so sad, it'd be hilarious, you know? Wow. And so it says in verse 17, and, and this, was, this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear, respect, reverence, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Yeah. Verse 18, "...and many that believed..." Now look at this now and read it very, very carefully. "...and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds." Their believers. Believers have need to confess. They confessed and showed, reported their deeds, their evil practices. Many of them also which use curious arts, magic brought their books together and burned them before all men. They didn't sell them on eBay. They burned them. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's quite a bit. Uh, Some say it would be the equivalent today of $10,000. Some say that 50,000 pieces of silver, depending on the currency described, would be like 50,000 days of work, a day's labor. It's a lot of work. And they burned it all. So mightily grew, verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It's good, isn't it? And prevailed. So tonight I want to preach to you the power of the word in a world filled with imposters. The power of the word in a world filled with imposters. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get to the message here tonight. Many so-called super prophets and apostles are on the scene nowadays. That's how they would refer to themselves. Super prophets, apostles. Prophets and prophetesses, apostles, she says this and that, it's supposed to come to pass. They say that there's a revival of the New Testament gifts and revival of the Holy Spirit that's restoring the gifts to Christians in these last days, that these—listen now—you think all this I'm going to about to tell you for the next few moments, you're going to think this is bizarre, this is bogus, this is too far out there, this is not happening, this, this is not normal, this is weird, this is whacked out, this is—but it's real. Sad but true. But they say that now we're in the times of the latter rains, that, that the what took place in the book of Acts and chapter number 2 and other places was the early rains, but now it's the latter rains that the Spirit is manifesting Himself in greater measure today than He was then. Bizarre things being reported in connection with the name of Jesus. Thousands testifying of Powerful manifestations, people sobbing, shaking, barking like dogs. It's true. Barking like dogs uncontrollably, barking like dogs, laughing uncontrollably, a laughing revival. Now, I love to laugh, but they lose all control and they call it holy laughter. Now, I was sitting over here enjoying that song, and I'm telling you, a big smile came to my face, and it was almost like, man, this is, this is overwhelming. This is too good, and, and, and it makes you, I don't know, it just brings joy there to know that he knows my name. This is incredible, and, but I'm not losing control and rolling in the floor and jumping down the aisles and falling slain and can't get up. You with me? A lady reports that her flat tire was healed. <laughs> serious? You think I'm making this up? She said her flat tire was healed. Another, listen now. Listen. They're being serious about this stuff. We ought not laugh. Another reports that her dog learned to bark in an unknown tongue. How about that? Yep. A laughing revival breaking out right here, right now. Isn't this, isn't this amazing? Jan Crouch, she reported that a pet chicken was raised to life in Costa Rica, Brother Smith. A pet chicken was dead, came back to life. That'll change your life. Change that chicken's life. I'm telling you. What? I say again, What? You're kidding me, right? And people believe this. People send money. Sad. Yeah. yeah. Why do such movements take place? I tell you why. Because in their theology and their way of "quote unquote" Christianity, no experience has to stand the test of Scripture. And when you do not believe that there is an authority in the Bible that must be submitted to and that the authority of Scripture supersedes anybody's experience and you're elevating your experience to the level of Scripture, you're on dangerous ground. You're going to have experiences. You're going to have subjective Things happen in life. Those are called experiences. But what we must do is we must gauge our experiences under the authority of the Word of God. Otherwise, we've got some weird stuff going on. A man named Frederick Bruner said this, The test of anything, listen to this here tonight, The test of anything calling itself Christian is not its significance, is not its success, Is not its power, though these make the test more imperative. In other words, just because a ministry is growing large doesn't mean God's in it. Just because a ministry is growing large doesn't mean God's not in it. But just because they have, you know, 40,000 doesn't mean that, oh, God's all over that. It's not the test. In fact, if anything, that ought to cause us to test it even more so. The truth is the test. There's a real quest taking place in the lives of many individuals within America, but listen—it's not just within America. It's also spreading all around the world. Our missionaries are really combating this in many, in many areas in South Africa and in uh, Latin America, especially as we were in Brazil. I'm telling you, it was not the it was not the Catholic churches that were filled. In fact, they were quite empty. But it was the it was the Pentecostal churches and the assemblies churches and, and these uh, international ministries that were just busting to the gills people wanting a touch of power in their life. Hey, listen, now wait a minute. You need power in your life to live. You do. Your car needs fuel to run. Your body, of course, needs food to operate. And your spiritual life needs power. You need power. You can't make it on your own. I can't make it on my own. This church has to operate by power. That's not human power. Listen, we need the power of God. We're not denying that at all. But the type of power I'm interested in is the type of power that's here in the Bible, not human fabricated. Hank Henegraff wrote a book called Counterfeit Revival counterfeit revival. A very helpful look, a hair-raising look at what's actually been said by the Benny Hens of the day and and the other individuals that are out there. You'd think, no, surely not. He didn't say that with his mouth open. (laughs) But I'm telling you, they did. The likes of Jesse Duplantis saying he went up and sat in God's lap. said god was having a bad day and he helped god a little bit encouraged him he think no he didn't say that he said it with his mouth open yeah. come on so mr hindergraph wrote a book and um, divided the chapters according to an acronym the word flesh Because ministries are either a manifestation of flesh or they're a manifestation of the spirit of power. So he uh, labeled it flesh. Letter F is standing for fabrications, fantasies, and frauds. Letter L, lying signs and wonders. E, end-time restorationism, meaning that bringing back the tongues and bringing back. See, this movement, this quote-unquote modern movement is about 100 years old or a little bit more. It hasn't been going on. It's recent. Letter S, slain in the spirit. H, hypnotism. Hypnotism. Chapter 1, I just had uh, to reread. I'd read it sometime back, but I reread this section just to remind me what's going on out there. Because, you know, we live here. We're, We're very well protected. I mean, you may have individuals you know or have maybe been saved out of that background. But by and large, I mean, unless you're just watching the comedy channel and TBN, then you're not getting this and seeing it, you know, firsthand. Um, But he told about a man that many of you maybe would recognize this name, Rodney Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, Back in uh, 1979 prayed as a 17-year-old young man and from South Africa as, as I read a little bit more about his story. And and he, get, listen to this, he gave God an ultimatum. And he said, either you come down here and touch me or I'm going to go up there and touch you. I would not have wanted to be standing anywhere near the man. But here's what he said. He prayed this, Over and over and over. God, I want your power. I want your power. I want your power. He prayed, I want your power. Hey, listen, we need God's power. I want God's power. And then he described the, how that it began in the top of his head and it began to rush down into his body. And he thought he was going to die. And he said it felt like, you know, when you maybe would unplug a, 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 or unscrew a light bulb and stick your finger in the socket. I'm thinking maybe he did that one too many times. But he, like he said that's what it felt like. And finally, it, you know, it released. and. And so, but the, that's when the power of God came on here. Him, well, listen, this man was influential in Oral Roberts' mentality in life. And he was influential down in Lakeland, Florida with a movement that came on, the Holy Laughter uh, uh, Movement kind of beginning to get its roots there. And then when it went up to Toronto, the Toronto Blessing, if you've studied a little bit of, of this, the history of the charismatic movement and, and the waves of it and such, then this man was very much involved in that. In fact, he refers to himself as the Holy Ghost Bartender. Serving out the Spirit. People getting drunk. No, I'm serious. You think you're making all this up. I wish I was. But he, he's the Holy Ghost bartender. He also calls himself the Holy Ghost hit man. And so he's serving out, quote unquote, the Spirit. And people getting drunk in the Spirit, falling out, laughing and uncontrollably, acting basically like they're drunk, although drunk with the Spirit. And they call that power spiritual power i read of individuals that that uh uh, that he he said a lady came and wanted the power and he lifted his hand up and kind of like a gunslinger and and came down like that he said and he said he boom got her there like with his finger and, and he she just fell out like a bat hit her like somebody swung a bat and knocked her out slain in the spirit he said, "Man, I got to be careful with this." And he began to point it around the congregation. And he shot some of his some of his uh, own church staff, and boom, they fell out. Boom, boom, boom. And then he went to the crowd. Boom, 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 and people just falling out everywhere. <laughs> wow, power. You think? You think? Hmm. I put him in the category of an imposter. Along with many other imposters. Unfortunately, they they bring in revenue and they bring in people and they get a lot of hype and a lot of attention. But you know, over time, they kind of wane. And then they die. And I'm not happy about them dying, but, you know, they say, you know, a person, you know, if they have faith and they won't get sick, well, some of them lose the faith along the way, and they die. You know why? Because they've got a wrong theology. And we don't have time tonight to go into all the wrong and the, and the, the blatant lies and the twisting of Scripture and the fabrication. And I believe the, the, uh, the pressure that they put on people to do all kinds of things and what they draw in. I'm telling you, it's a bunch of hype and a bunch of phony baloney. I'm not interested in that at all, but I am interested in what the Word of God says about spiritual power Amen. and where it comes from. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in a world that's filled with with imposters like this? But not just that, but people, But there's such an onslaught of evil in our day and time like there was in the day of Paul. What are we supposed to do? What kind of ministry are we supposed to have? have because you said earlier, preacher, that we need power in our life, power to change, power to live, power to, to go forward in life and raise a family and, and to make decisions. We need power. Yes, we do, but we better make sure it's the right kind of power coming from the right kind of source. So what did they do here when impostors showed up on the scene? Because that's basically what we're reading about. So what did they do then? And let let that help us here tonight to see how God would lead and guide us in the way of true biblical strength and power. Well, let's, let's get the context here tonight. God's power was evident in the life of Paul through the power of the word preached. But they rejected Paul's preaching. Verse number eight and through ten, it talks about how that how that they uh, they rejected. He spake boldly. That means he spake freely, openly, fearlessly. But his message was rejected. They became hardened. They didn't believe. Why did they reject his message? They didn't reject his message because it was too long. In fact, I just recently read that the longest recorded sermon is 48 hours and 18 minutes. I'm feeling like a short preacher. 48 hours. How about we break that record? Okay, how about we not? All right, so any case, somebody said, Blessed is the preacher whose train of thought has a caboose. They didn't reject his message because it was too lengthy. He was a spirit-filled preacher, no doubt about it. Paul was a spirit-filled preacher. Hey, look, you know, do you know why I get worked up about some of these characters that say they have the spirit of God and all that? Because they say the spirit of God causes you to lose control, almost like mindlessness. But every time I read in the Bible, the fruit of the spirit is temperance. He doesn't cause you to lose control. In fact, he makes your life be in good control. Paul was a man that was spirit-filled, and he spake boldly, and he disputed with them, and he, he persuaded them. Did you see those words in the text? He persuaded them, meaning he was there to convince them, but they, be, they began to be stubborn, and they rejected his message. Let me ask you a question tonight. Did they need power to live? Yes, they did. But they rejected Jesus and his resurrection power, and instead of that, then they they had to have some power. So here's what they were going on the power of their flesh to keep the law. It was insufficient. And sadly they turned away from the power of the Lord offered. Well, Paul just kept going. And what he did, uh, we'll just move on down here for the sake of time. He cared for the new disciples and moved them to a lecture hall. Most likely, maybe a, a place where people would present various ideas. Uh, it could have been a school, but it may have just simply been a lecture hall. And listen, Paul identified with those who were scholarly and intellectual of his day. Listen, and you and I who hold the Word of God to be the Word of God, we don't need to be afraid of scholarship and be afraid of the intellectual world because this Bible, which is the mind of God, will stand up to Amen. and not cave under the pressure of scrutiny. We can have that that confidence. And so Paul was... was uh, was accepted there and, and drew much attention. And so things began to happen. And in fact, look what verse number 10 says. It says, and this continued by the space of two years, this longest time that Paul would be in a place would be approximately three years total in Ephesus. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. We're talking about the, the province of Asia, the, the Western part of Asia minor, And this is incredible that the word of God spread so that they heard that the gospel was readily accessible. And churches were started. In fact, you read Colossians and you read Revelations and you see the, the church of Ephesus and the church of Thyatira and the church of Sardis and all these churches. Churches were started that Paul didn't even need to go to. God's power was evident in the life of Paul and other preachers ...who devoted their life to preaching the Bible, not preaching their ideas, not pushing for experiences, but pointing people to Jesus through the Bible. I'm telling you, that's where the power is. You don't have to stick your finger in a light socket to get that. Just take your finger and turn the pages of the Bible and you're tapping into more power than what you can ever know. God's power is evident in the life of Paul. I want you to notice again, verse 11 and 12, we're doing real good... Eleven and twelve tells us that some extraordinary, special miracles were were taking place uh, through by God. You notice in verse eleven, it was God who wrought this. He wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Why did Why did God do miracles in the first place? You know, if you read in the book of Hebrews, you see that He gave witness. He was validating the message of those early pro, uh, prophets, preachers at that time before the Word of God was held in their hands. And what it was, as we've heard already, it was a sign to the unbelieving Jews that, yes, the Spirit of God has come. Other situations that we could analyze. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12 and Romans chapter 15, then what God is doing is He's validating, basically saying this, this is the man of God, listen to Him. Okay, what, what did God do in the days of Elijah and Elisha? My son came home uh, today, and we were talking about how that he learned about Elisha in his class. And God did many miracles in the days of Elisha. Why did God do many miracles in the days of Elisha and Elijah? Why did he do that? Well, it wasn't just to, just to help a widow lady, though that was very good, and it was right, and it was very helpful. But it was also this, the man of God is on the scene. The man of God is on the scene, and God was validating his message. You ought to listen to the man of God by this miracle, know that he's on the scene. When Jesus came, great miracles took place under the ministry of Jesus. In fact, what we see continuing on into the book of Acts is that the same type of miracle ministry was taking place under the leadership, under the ministry, rather, of the apostles, listen, not by their own promotion of themselves, See, there, I find a great, great distinction between the likes of Paul and modern day so-called prophets who promote themselves as miracle workers. Because you don't see these miracle workers going up to the hospital and helping people. God is the source of true miracles. And, and Luke is pointing out here for us that this is, pretty un, this is very uncommon. But they have a purpose and they parallel the work of Jesus and God used uh, human instrumentality that he might get the glory. And you see in verse number 12 that it says, so that from his body were brought unto the sick. So evidently some of the sick were not able to come. And so what they would do is they would take Paul's handkerchief there, his sweat cloth that maybe he wore around his head or that he wore perhaps around his waist and that he would would, uh, use there. And they would take that handkerchief and lay it on the body of that individual, and they'd be healed. Did you read that? That's what it says. What do you think of that? Well, what what happened when Jesus was walking down the lanes there, and a woman, what did she do? She touched the hem of his garment. Healed. This is showing Paul is right in line with the ministry of Jesus. But when you hear some guy on TV saying, 1999, you can have a prayer cloth. I'll give this to anybody tonight that wants it, but you're not going to want it. I guarantee you. I'm telling you, there's a lot of phony stuff going on out there, but it's all a quest for power. But God is saying, here's real power. I'm going to do something extraordinary here through the ministry of Paul. Well. Enter the impostors, seven sons of Sceva, itinerant Jews, exorcists. They hear about the power that is available through the ministry of Paul, listen, in the name of Jesus. They are not Christians, but they'd like to use his name. They're using his name as though a magic charm, as though casting a spell. And so the Bible says that these seven sons, these seven individuals, seven boys come against one man, one man who's possessed with one demon, one man, one demon. And they said to him, as you you read there, we adjure you. Can you imagine this scene? Seven of them. We command you, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. No personal relationship. No real connection. Just strictly using the name. We adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, that you come out. The demon speaks. Jesus I know. I'm a little bit acquainted with Paul. But I don't know who in the world you are. Next thing they know, they're no longer adjuring anybody. But that one man with one demon goes berserk. And though they're trying to find the door, they can't find it evidently. And he just puts the He just puts a whooping on them like they've never had in their life, beats them, humiliates them. They run out the door. I mean, I'm sure they were trying to get free. And in the process of trying to get free, they got free, but they had no clothes and they ran, seven of them, traumatized by one man with one demon. But I read in Mark chapter five about one man who had a legion of demons, a legion. Legion means thousand! Thousands of demons in this man's body, and no man could tame this wild demoniac of Gadara. And he dwelt in chains, and he lived out in the graveyards. But then he met a man named Jesus. He met one man, not seven men. He met one man, and that one man, Jesus. They, the demons, said, "We know who you are. Don't torment us before the time. Let us go free." Please, the demons were begging Jesus, and Jesus sent him into the hogs, and they ran down the hillside and jumped into the into the sea down below and died 2,000 hogs. That's a bunch of swine. And they, they died there. I'm telling you, one man, a legion of demons, but then I read this. He was sitting down clothed in his right mind. Here's seven of them running off without a stitch on, and they were whooped bad by one demon, but here's one man named Jesus who commanded a whole thousand legion of them, however many there were. And put this man in his clothes that's power that's who we serve that's <laughs> why so we don't have we don't have to feel like we're inferior to any other any other quote unquote religion that's out there that claims to have mighty power and it's sweeping the land and there's great numbers Wait a minute if they're not if they're not. Preaching this book just like it is and living for Jesus just like he is. I'm telling you, it's a bunch of fabrications and lies and we have nothing to worry about. Not that we were. We have no reason to. Those who attempt to mimic but have no relationship are terribly embarrassed in the end. Well, the church rolls on is that how it is? Well, this, this was known. I, something like that happens. You can't, it doesn't matter if there's television or no television. That news is traveling fast. Everybody in Ephesus, do you hear what happened to the seven sons of Sceva? Yeah. And the name of Jesus was enlarged. The word enlarged, they're magnified. It, it means this to to increase and grow and and it means this to praise the greatness of you know what people were doing Jesus must be mighty great if that took place okay so this had an effect not just on unbelievers but on believers look at verse 18 and 19 it says and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds it says that they confess. That means they acknowledge. They made public confession of sin. They showed. They made known. They reported their deeds, their disgraceful, evil practices. What evil, disgraceful practices? Well, it answers it in verse number 19. Many of them also which use curious arts. And so here were those who had evil deeds. And then there, there's these that along with that part, no doubt part of their evil deeds would be that they use curious arts, magic. Why do they use magic? Power. The difference between magic and miracles is that in magic, man tries to manipulate. But with miracles, God sovereignly does a work that man can't control. And so here they came. They they used magic according to superstition. And remember what city we were in, Ephesus, and there was a lot of uh, spells and enchantments and, and mantras and and bindings that they would put on others and all these things that were taking place. Hey, listen, all you have to do is just board a plane with Brother W.L. Smith and go to some of the countries where he's been in the world, and you see that demonism is alive and well, my friend. Isn't it a shame that in our own country there's an infatuation with the occult? It's not a new infatuation. I realize that. But you think about the the attention that's given to magical spells and formulas and novels. You let your sons and daughters read certain novels like a Harry Potter. I realize that's a little bit dated perhaps, but you let them read some of that. It may seem kind of innocent, but they're coming into a realm of world and thought and godlessness that they have absolutely no business being in movies and board games and horoscopes and tarot cards and psychic hotlines and extrasensory perception and clairvoyance and channeling and necromancy and crystals and stargazing and new age and yoga yoga's got a big kick right now it's hinduism yeah. roots mantras and chantings and certain forms of martial arts and zen buddhism and the wiccan and the shamanism in this day and time and stomp dances Right here in Oklahoma. Ah, it's just innocent. It's just part of their culture. Their culture is tied to paganism. Music and pop culture and symbols, and drugs and blatant Satanism. I'm telling you, it's right here in our midst. And it was in some of the lives of the people. No, wait a minute. They were believers. But this had been a way of life for them to, to be a part of this, the, the formulas, the cults, the, all, all that's going on. It was a part of their life. But then when they, listen, listen to this, this is really good. When they began to understand who God was, who they were, what his word was all about, and where he was going, and that they no longer needed all this to make life work, they said, we're done with it. So here's a new believer that begins to discard some things. You know, I think we ought to give some new believers some space to begin to realize, you know, I need to give this up and that up and that up and that up and that up. And they may not do it all at one time. It may come over time like it did for them and it dawns on them. It's like the light comes on. Whoa, wait a minute. God's sufficient. Jesus is Sufficient. I don't have to have that music to go on. I don't have to have those drugs and that alcohol and all these things and these cigarettes. And, and on and on, we could go with our list of things and perhaps even voodoo and magic and things of that nature that you think, no, that wouldn't exist anywhere. No, wait a minute. It's a real deal going on back then. It's a real deal going on now. And people get rid of movies and novels. And, and hey, we could have a big burning right here. What did they do? They burned it. They didn't sell it. They didn't make money of it. They didn't throw it away because if they threw it away, they could come back to it later. Listen, if you've got things in your life that's not pleasing to God, you don't need to just throw it away because you will. You'll go back through the trash and dig it back out. You need to burn that or, or smash it to smithereens. I tell young people at youth camps all the time, you know, about your DVDs and game systems or, or at least the game uh, uh, CDs and such that you're using. They make really good skeets for like a skeet shoot. Pull. You've got to have parent permission and you pastor supervision and your pastor probably ought to be there with a the shotgun too. Pull. <laughs> Don't sell it. Don't sell sin to somebody else. But I've got so much money in it. I spent so- No. Burn it, flush it, burn it, (laughs) whatever, get rid of it. But I spent so much on that pack. Burn it, Uh, flush it, don't burn it, you smell it. Get rid of it. (laughs) 50,000 pieces of silver worth. It cost them something to follow God. But it led them to great Blessing. I believe today that God's power is evident through the life of a cleansed church that's trusting the power of the Word of God. Not the power of a personality. Not the power of a program. Not the power of just man's ideas. But the power of the Word preached. So. In a world filled with impostors, we can trust the word to prevail. Amen. I mentioned it this morning. Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy is going to get bad, son. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he gives a list. It make you think he had watched our news the night prior. He said, Timothy, there is one course of ministry in such a world. And it's based on this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction to in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, preach the word, Amen. proclaim the word. Be instant in season out of season. You know what that means? That doesn't mean, you know, just be ready to preach when you go back home and your preacher asks you to preach at a, at a last moment in time. That's not what it means at, at all, though that could be part of it. It means this. Preach when it's popular and preach when it's not popular. When it's in season and when it's out of season, preach the word for the days will come in which they will they will heap to themselves teachers and they're going to have itching ears and they're going to find people that will tell them what they want to hear, but they need somebody that will stand up and tell them what they need to hear. And as you do that, the power of God will enter into the person's life and begin to change them, and they'll get rid of things, and their life will be on the right track, and grace and glory and blessings will be upon their life, and it won't be fake fire from heaven. It'll be the real legitimate fire of God falling on their life, and the Holy Spirit of God doing an amazing work in them. There's our confidence. That is why we have Sunday school, church, And family devotions. And daily in the Bible. Because remember, I come back to this thought to close our message here tonight. We're not getting anywhere near that 48-hour message. You're okay. We're coming back to this thought. Remember, you need power to live. Yes, you do. But it's not the power of your flesh. And it's not something that you or anybody else fabricates. But it's the power that is inerrant in the Word of God. That is right here built into the Word of God. I wonder how much power you've got in your life based on how much time you spend in the Word. You know, I found this to be true with my cell phone. It's only going to have as much, as far as energy in it, as what I've allowed it to be charged up. Yeah, good. Good. I like to plug it in at night, let it charge all night. That way I know when I take it off in the, in the morning, I've got 100%. I don't want to run on 70%. I want 100 Why? Because I don't know what all is going to go on in the course of the day. Hey, listen, more important than your cell phone being charged... Your spiritual life needs to be charged. How much time does God have to talk to you? How much time have you allowed God to have to talk to you? I believe, therefore, there ought to be a time and a place, a time and a place where you meet with God every day. A time and a place. Five o'clock in the morning in the chair with the lamp in the living room. Not too comfortable of a chair. Six o'clock in the kitchen with coffee. Somewhere, I'm telling you, a time and a place. Because you need power to live. How much time do you spend speaking for God? Because the word of God will prevail as we speak it. We're not of the faith movement in the sense that Speak the word and these things will happen. No, we're of this movement. Speak the word. It reveals God's will. Father, we thank you today. And I just pray that you would uh, help those that are bound. I certainly didn't intend, though we pointed out some of those specifics. It's not my intention to make fun of. It really is sad. the sensationalism that some have submitted themselves to. sadder still that there are people that are really wanting answers in life that turn to some of these churches and then they, they get sadly disappointed. Maybe there's a little hype at first and a little help at first, but God, if, there, if it's not built on your word, Lord, it won't last. I pray today, dear God, that you'd help us to reach people with the true word of God. Help us to get the word out. Help us to saturate our thinking in the word. To be biblicist in every sense of the word. To be true to the Bible. To believe the Bible. To let the Bible govern our lives. And thus you govern our life, dear God, by that. We know you spoke to Moses from the tabernacle and gave him instructions to give to the people. We can read those words. And in addition to that, we're so blessed that we have the whole counsel that you've given us. The whole revelation that you've given, a special revelation that you've given from you to man. Help us, God, to find power in the word and thus to see the power for living. And Lord, there are many imposters in the world and there, are, there is much wickedness in the world. And I pray you'd help us to go into ministry with the confidence that Paul had when he told Timothy to preach the word, that being the solution to the problems of society. And so, God, we want to submit ourselves, commit ourselves to being those conveyors of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.